0: howdy and welcome back no hold on howdy welcome to the bp movie journal the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these i'm david i'm tyler See, I've done your, see, so you introduce regular episodes and the Patreon, you get them mixed yes. up. Now I have a thing where I introduce the movie journal and the one where I met your mother. Oh. So I always say, welcome back to the one where I met your mother. Got it. Yeah. So I almost, that's why I, I combined the two. I said, howdy and welcome back. I mm. uh, can't do that. Got to keep them straight. Got to be profesh. Keep it profesh. Uh so we got a bunch of movies to talk about. We can't do too much uh fucking
1: around here. Well, okay, let's do okay. a little bit of fucking around. A little bit of fucking around. Right? I'm ready. Because here's the thing. So I'm I'm sick right now, which means my mind tends to go to dark places. Not not overly dark places. Okay. Um but we should specify you have a bunch of movies to talk about. I have a few movies to talk about and it's just Man, it's just getting to me. Like it's really like I know like I'm a dad, I've got a couple jobs and I'm sick. I get it. But like it's really I'm just, I don't know. I just felt like letting everyone know where I am. Like I have no idea if the listeners are disappointed. I don't think that are. that I'm not seeing as many movies. I like it's it's an aspect to to parenthood that is probably completely eternal uh, internal pardon me uh i just feel like other people are like well i didn't have these kids but i'm paying the price because i'm not hearing tyler talk about my favorite movie of the year or whatever um and it's just really it's really getting to me so like i i promise everyone like i'm really gonna try and see more uh i have some today but i i promise i'll see more like I'm I'm ashamed of the number of 2021 movies I've seen, and granted, I'm going to see I'm going to see more as we move on. But like, it really it really bums me out.
0: Well, I mean, you've got plenty of good reasons. I think you need to like, um, yes, do what you can to see as many as you uh, are, are able, but also let yourself off the hook if you're not able to. You have I know. Plenty, it's a it's a crazy time in the world, and it's a busy time in your life, and. Uh, at some point those, uh, kids will, uh, you know, abandon you, <laughs> leave you all sure. alone. So you should enjoy them uh, while you right.
1: can Oh, they called me just the other day and, uh, oh no, they were just like me, uh, <laughs> prioritizing family over their work. Wait, wait, what? Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Anyway, it was just, it was, it was on my mind and I just feel, I feel like I owe the world an apology. I know I probably don't, but I know that the, the, the show is different than it used to be. And because of this big life change and, you know, and I uh, feel kind of bad about it.
0: Well, that's all right. Uh, I don't think you you should, but I also validate your feeling. Oh, thank you. Um, all right. So uh, I don't have much to say about this, this first film. I uh, had been meaning to watch it for a, a, a long time because I'm just interested in the subject matter, but I kind of knew because I don't tend to like biopics, especially musical bio musician biopics. I knew I wasn't going to like it, but I still wanted to see how they did it. Uh, I watched Liesl Tommy's Respect. Oh, the, okay. Aretha Franklin uh, uh, biopic. And it's just, it's just, it's exactly the, it hits all the biopic notes. Yeah. Uh, you would, you would expect it to. It's not like, it's, it's never like aggressively bad. It's just very much expected. And also it feels like we tell, I often point out like run times. Um, but I wanna, when I tell you this movie is two hours and 25 minutes, I want to tell you that you feel that two hours and 25 minutes. It is a long, Man. it is a long movie, uh, for something that's like never really unexpected.
1: That's a long time for formula. I'll say that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you've got, I mean, you've got a good Jennifer, Jennifer Hudson, Jennifer Hudson plays Aretha Franklin, uh, Forrest Whitaker plays her father, uh, Marlon Wayans plays her first husband. Um, who else is in there? Mary J. Blige plays Dinah Washington. She actually Mm. might be the best part of the movie. She's only in a couple scenes. Um, Mark Maron plays Jerry Wexler. (laughs) Um, uh which which is fun so you've got like that that kind of helps a little bit just seeing like the like oh and this person and this person and this yeah. person um it helps a little bit but uh, really it's just uh i mean i feel like i'm the millionth person to say this about a biopic but you could just read the wikipedia entry you yeah. know you'll you'll get the you get the story and <laughs> also like uh, it's weird to like I feel like a movie, the movie is so long, and then it ends in 1972, and it's like. I guess they just felt like we've been going on too long. <laughs> like we'll cover the rest of her, her, yeah. her life, you know, like, um, if you're going to, cause it has, it starts when she's a child. It's, this isn't one of those like biopics that tries to focus in on a certain period of time. Right. It's, this is the, like from childhood to like, uh, uh, you know, rising stardom early, you know, frustrations and struggles and, 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 and stuff. And then like we get to the recording of amazing grace, the 1972, uh, gospel album that you mm-hmm. recorded and then the red everything else is just like either text on screen or what has become my uh uh my worst
1: uh oh uh, real footage over the credits yes or next to it, the credits it, Often, it, it,
0: yes it is be- what's the one i'm looking for my bet noir is that what Ooh. i'm looking for um uh, uh, it's it's become... A, it's a burr in my saddle. Every yeah. movie that is a biopic or is based on real events ends with real footage. And it just... It it seems like... What are you, what are you trying to... You're trying to, like, show off how close... Because that's... What, the eyes of Tammy Faye does that, where it literally, like, shows an interview with the real Tammy Faye next to the footage we already saw of Jessica Chastain doing that just as way of saying like, see how accurate we were.
1: Yeah. I, I hated, hated that it. about the disaster artist as well. Yeah. Where yeah. it's like, Hey, look at, look how we recreated this. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things. It really bothers me when I see it as well. And it's, and it's happening. I feel like it's happening more and yeah. it feels self-congratulatory. Yes. The, the first one I really noticed, and this is a movie that is,
0: it's 2022, so this movie that is 10 years old now. Uh Argo. Sure. Um has like like look how it, these, these shots that are look like it's like they're saying, look how well we restaged the like yeah. storming of the embassy, or like we rebuilt the production designers rebuilt this house to the exact like specifications. Like, who cares? Like and that's a movie that I liked for the most part. Um, yeah. but uh yeah, it's it's gone on too long. Uh, I feel like there was something else I was gonna say about respect, but we can move on. Two Leo's Karax's Annette. Uh and it, I mean uh, we talked about Annette last yeah, week uh, yeah. My personal hangups. Uh, uh so I don't want to give the impression that I think this is a bad movie. I think it's a very good movie, actually. Um uh it's uh in I mean, in in some ways I can see you I mean, I'm sure you do this. Sometimes you Watch a movie and you like start hearing why other people might complain about this movie. Yes, and then you're like defending the movie against the complaint you haven't yeah, actually heard.
1: Pissed at these people that may or yeah. may not exist.
0: Um, but I could see the complaints about it being a movie that is um, mostly about a bad man you know i can see the people saying like haven't we had enough of like focusing on bad male behavior or or whatever and i and i I, and i get that and there are actually times in the movie when the way in which adam driver's character is a bad man is kind of expected and Mm -hmm. wrote that i was like okay i get why someone might be uh uh tired of this but what what is not wrote or expected about Annette is that it's a musical written by the Sparks brothers. It has, uh, it has fantastic weird, uh, songs often. Like, uh, if you, if you know, if you saw the Sparks brothers documentary, you, you know, their music, you know, they often have this thing of being like, like, so specific and so straightforward in like their lyrics that it like ends up turning around and becoming avant-garde again. Like it becomes Mm. weird that someone's being like so straightforward (laughs) and there's a lot of, um, of, of that in the, in the Annette songs. Uh, there is also, um, the thing you want with musicals, which is big grand emotion. Um, and for all of my complaints about the things that happen in, in like, the first half or half plus of the movie, like seeing like seeing him like, Oh, he's it's like a, uh, he's, uh, cause the, both he and Marion Cotillard are performers. He's a stand-up and she's a, uh, opera singer. And so you get the thing of like, Oh, her career is taking off and his is faltering and he's drinking more because of that. And like, maybe he's a threat to their baby and that, like, it seems like I've seen this kind of story before. Yeah. Um, but, uh so so the like uh, you know grain of salt, but the movie is again still a musical by the Sparks Brothers and gets to places in its second half with um just 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 huge emotions, just that musical thing of of being so big um but in a way that is not it's not a it's not a happy movie. I don't want to spoil what happens in the movie. It's not a happy movie. So that big emotion is uh uh regret or that that pain of realizing that you've fucked something up in a way that you can never undo you know that um uh that's that stuff is uh is very big and by by the end of of an edit it definitely uh had me but um so i like uh adam driver and and marion Cotillard, and then simon helberg oh yeah, yeah um who I guess uh, he's probably best known for The Big Bang Theory. I've haven't seen that much Big Bang Theory, but back <clears throat> pre Big Bang Theory, pre Drunk History, there was a web series called Derek and Simon that was Derek mm-hmm. Waters and Simon Helberg um, that was very funny and that I will always associate him with. So it's weird to see him playing a dramatic musical role when I think of him as like this guy from like you know, mid two thousands internet, all of, com- all of comedy, <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's good too. Uh, all right. Um, and then the Sparks Brothers actually do show up at the beginning as essentially themselves. And then later they have another cameo, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then moving on to Adam McKay's don't look up. Now, all right. I'm sure what you are expecting is for me to lambast the film. Everyone's done that already. Sure. Yes. It's not good. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna uh, uh, okay so I'll... I'll uh, yeah'm I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna de- defend'm I'm, I'm gonna say here's the reasons don't look up is better than vice, okay or 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 at least not as bad as their 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 they're saying. it has it has some of that vice stuff. Like most of the when the comedy in the movie is quote unquote, satire, like meaning just. Thumpingly obvious and yes, eye-rolling. Yes. It's not funny. It feels like Vice. It feels smug. You know, um, Michael chickles's is character. is a very minor character in the movie, but he's like a essentially a Fox News opinion show talking head type. He's. It's not on Fox. It's not called Fox News. It's called like Patriot News or something. But he's yeah. like he's like oh like I like Michael Chickless, but this is
1: it's a shame. It. if it, In other hands, that would be such great casting.
0: You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah. So yeah, that, that stuff gets old, but what don't look up has that I think vice was mix- missing is Adam McKay is still a funny guy who made, like he made funny movies. And so there is stuff in this movie that is, is, is is funny that when it doesn't have anything to do with a lot and a lot of yeah. it comes from Leonardo DiCaprio's performance. Um, and the, the way here's what I, here's where I'll, uh, praise adam mckay as a filmmaker one thing i think he's very good at is giving a sense of ordinariness even when we're dealing with like major movie stars in sure in, or, or like even uh, Outlanders comedic pr- uh personas like stepbrothers or whatever they're still like um you still believe that like richard jenkins is an ordinary guy yes in, in Step Brothers, and so turning leonardo dicaprio one of the you know biggest movie stars uh and you know i guess at this point aging sex symbols uh, um in in the world into kind of like a milk toast awkward guy without making it seem like he's overreaching right right to making it seem natural he does a good job of that and, and a lot of it is in Leonardo DiCaprio's performance but a lot of it is just in adam mckay's kind of uh in his best better films vice i don't think did this as as well as well but his like kind of egalitarian way of shooting he shoots everybody exactly the same hmm. which i guess could be seen as he only has one mode but it does tend to make uh uh outlandish people seem just as ordinary as ever as everyone yeah. else um which i think in some ways can help at least what he's going for with movie like don't look up where he's trying to say yes what we're seeing on in this movie is outlandish but it's also not that far from reality at least that's right that's what he's trying to say and i think it works a little bit uh, for that but it mostly works just for comedy the uh maybe it's so like minor but one of the biggest laughs i had in the movie so you know the premise of the movie right i think yeah. everyone knows okay yeah. so Leonardo dicaprio and jennifer lawrence have like gone on tv to try and like get people's attention to like say this comet's coming it's going to end life on earth in just over six months or whatever and like no one seems to care plus they're being like uh persecuted by the white house and followed around by the fbi or like kidnapped the by- other like it, everything has gone wrong no matter what. And then Jennifer Lawrence, it, like the, her, uh, uh, in, in insult dinner, she's like, well, I guess on top of everything, apparently my boyfriend just broke up with me. Cause her boyfriend is a journalist who like wrote like a scathing hit piece on her. And so after all of that, the world is ending all of that. And she goes, I guess my, uh, I guess my boyfriend broke up with me. And then goes, ah, oh, what a day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's
0: Maybe the hardest I laughed in the entire movie. Um, Uh, see but you
1: know what that's a very when adam mckay is funny one of the things that i really like that he is able to do is have characters able to very briefly uh focus on something that is less important but it's very important to them in the moment like like when characters, whether it be in like Talladega Knights or Anchorman, like they'll be arguing or something. And then a, a slight thing is brought up over here and they address it not too long. Sometimes it is comically long, but they do address it. They take it just as seriously in that moment as anything else. And then it's back to this. So that, that yeah. like, Oh, what a day. That's, that's great. And that, yeah. that feels very like the kind of Adam McKay. I, I like
0: there's a, there's another thing that I won't, say what the joke is but there is a running thing where uh jennifer lawrence the a character played by paul guilfoyle um uh if you know that um i i, I love him i feel like he's uh, yeah unsung uh yeah me too um uh so a character he does something early in the movie that jennifer lawrence like can't let go of so even as the world like is getting closer and closer to ending everyone she, she, she's bringing up like what was he what did he mean when he like it i, I won't <laughs> say what it is but it's funny but it also speaks to that thing i was talking about about the ordinariness that like adam mckay doesn't present paul gilfoy's character gilfoy's character as a supporting character in the leonardo DiCaprio and jennifer lawrence uh movie he's When he's on screen, he's just as much of a character in the movie as everyone else. And I I like that. So, there you go. I've said some positive things about Don't Look Up, a movie that is ultimately
1: quite bad. Okay. Uh, Okay, so I'm going to take a bunch of things and and combine them. So, uh, you know, it speaks to, I feel like it's been what, two weeks, three weeks since we've done one of these two two weeks, two weeks. Okay. Uh, so, you know, back when Christmas was still going on when it was a, (laughs) when it was a thing, right. Right. Yeah. That's when Christmas is a thing, that's, uh, that's something that people are going (laughs) to, yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, I, am a big fan of a Christmas Carol as I like the book uh and then i like various adaptations of it and so i watched various adaptations um but i'd seen them before obviously muppet christmas carol i'm a big fan of the one with uh, george c scott from 1984 i want to say okay uh but oddly enough the one that up until probably the muppets uh was the best known one was from 1951 starring alistair sim i had not seen that one until now um and I've seen I've seen many many versions of this, and so I thought like oh, you know what I've never seen this one, let's give it a watch, <clears throat> and I liked it. I thought it was very good. Uh, v- with a couple of exceptions, most of these adaptations really stay within very specific confines, um, and this one definitely. I I understand why it has stood the test of time, and I and I understand why it is often mentioned in the same space as like Muppet Christmas Carol. And I think it's because people like their Scrooge to only be so malevolent, almost comically. So the kind where it's, where it's like, like Mr. Burns, you know um, where there's like, yeah. like, ah, that guy, he's a, like, he's, he's, a, he's cold and he's ruthless, but he's kind of a rascal, you know, that sort of thing. Um, And as opposed to something like the, the, in my opinion, you know, uh, ill-conceived Guy Pierce film, which he is great in, by the way, Mm. but that is so dark and so like modern world conscious. And then even as much as I love the George C. Scott version, that one has more of an eye towards horror. And he, his Scrooge has a real edge to him as opposed to this one, where the film in general, everything is, is heightened to such an extent. And Alistair Sims, Scrooge, both when he is like bad and when he becomes good, like is just so excitable and so big and, and almost cartoonish. And I don't say that in a negative way, um, but I can definitely see why this one really stood the test of time. And I think it's because it's something you could watch with your kids and your kids would get the very basics of the story and the very basics of Str- of Scrooge. Um, and so it's, it's a fun performance. Um, and, and in that way, because I, in the last few years, there have been a number of articles saying like, Oh, Muppet Christmas Carol is the definitive Christmas Carol. It's like, well, it also has the fucking Muppets in it. Like, I mean, I adore it i think it's i love the songs i love the art i think it's a very very good version but it is also there's miss piggy you know what i mean like it's it feels a little wrong to say that's the definitive anything but uh but i can see why this one for so many decades was considered the definitive one because it has that tone of approachability and accessibility and and that sort of thing so i'm glad i watched it have you seen uh scrooge the musical where albert finney plays i have uh, not i that that's also a big one that people really like and they and they they like yeah. his performance but yeah i saw that one as
0: a kid i remember liking it yeah uh oh it's my turn again already yes i didn't take enough of a break uh <laughs> all right uh, um <clears throat> next up uh this is going to be like it's it's going to be all 2021 movies this is what i'm doing sure okay uh paul verhoven's benedetta um which i was really looking forward to and it it, I, i uh quite uh liked it but it also um i think it delivered on some of the things i was looking for i wanted it to be like uh risque and provocative and and it and it was that but i also think i wanted or i was a bit let down by uh okay so the uh it's based on a loosely based on a reportedly true story of a, of a nun um, in the 1600s during the um, the the Black Plague who um, may or may not have had like um, stigmata and may not have had like Jesus Christ speaking through her or whatever. And there was some disagreement as to whether or not it was a actual miracle or whether she was perhaps unwell or maybe as the movie suggests might be the case, she's just playing everybody. Um but she's also carrying on an ongoing uh lesbian affair with a young um I guess the term would be novitiate. Someone who's like oh, woman who's not yet a nun who's like a nun in training. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so this nun is having a uh an an affair with this uh other nun or novitiate. Uh so yeah it's obviously very provocative. Um I think I was a bit let down. I don't know why. I, I, I shouldn't have uh, have been. Um, Paul Verhoeven's never been like a super um, mystical or spiritual type director. But I felt like, as and I'm, I'm bringing my own Catholicism, my Catholic upbringing to it. I was a bit. I felt like the movie does not did not take Catholicism seriously. Mm-hmm. Like the characters are afraid of the threat of hell. Right. I don't think the movie legitimizes that fear.
1: Sure. Do you know what I mean? Um which I think do you feel like it's it's judging them or looking down on them for a fear of hell? Uh
0: maybe not quite that but it does add and this isn't necessarily a bad thing but it adds to the feeling of this being an exploitation type of type of movie. Uh and that's obviously that's in keeping with Paul Verhoeven's um whole uh career that like he he makes uh very artfully made uh and and uh uh cinematically adventurous schlock movies you know that are also are very smart i don't want to sound uh like like they're they're not but i and i love paul verhoeven movies but this didn't um i i, I think this didn't uh come anywhere near i guess L would have been his last film, right? I think so. Um, and I absolutely loved L that um, it, it doesn't come anywhere near that in terms of uh, really feeling like it's going to upset people, which is maybe what I wanted a little bit. I wanted that. Um, I wanted that, that level of Paul Verhoeven provocateur. And I got more of the uh, here's a bunch of like Catholic iconography and a bunch of you know tits and uh and and stuff like that and and blood of course don't worry uh and so I, i don't know i feel like i'm doing the opposite of what i did with don't look up don't look up i said nice things about a film i didn't like here i'm talking about my criticisms of a film that i actually really did like i just i guess i'm doing the thing of responding to the discourse about the movie maybe more than the movie and and maybe i went in with expectations that weren't um that weren't fair but uh i will say you know um performances are great in the movie i also specifically want to shout out uh lambert wilson um who 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 shows up as the um i can't remember if he's a cardinal or a bishop or whatever but he's the one who's like coming to this small town to like Find out if this nun is for real or or whatever, but um big year for Lambert Wilson because he uh I guess minor spoiler for people who haven't seen major resurrections yet, but he returns as the Merovingian hmm. um I said when I talked about major resurrections right after it came out, I was like, you'll be surprised like some big names return, and then it's like some weird people like, I guess they thought that person needed to come back, sure. but uh the Merovingian is back in in major resurrections, and we're all the better for it he's he's fantastic, uh okay. Sticking with uh, man, what do you there have been so many musicals this year? Yeah. So West Side Story, I haven't seen In the Heights, you saw In the Heights. I did. Um, Annette, Cyrano, and this one, tick tick boom. Right. And uh, I don't know if maybe I'm telling on myself here by saying uh that I this movie benefited from lowered expectations for me, but uh I I really liked this this movie i also knew nothing about it i didn't realize i knew it was about jonathan larson who wrote mm. uh rent but i didn't realize tick tick boom was a sort of like i guess in the movie he describes it as a rock monologue but like a memoirist yeah. musical that he had written i didn't know that i thought this was like oh it's a musical about the guy who made rent that's right hard. i didn't realize it was songs that this guy had written about his life and that rent is not a part of the story because it all tick tick boom was written before he wrote mm-hmm. uh, wrote uh rent this is about his like um i would say early days but part of the point is that he's been plugging away at trying to have a career in musical theater for a long time and this is about the sort of crisis of like do i do i give up do i like try to find a you know uh a job job or do i just be a waiter forever Or like is this actually going to happen um but uh i really thought that lin-manuel miranda who directed it i i guess i i don't know if you can blame me for having lowered expectations like because it felt like that thing of um that Mitch, Mitch Hedberg thing, like, oh, you can cook really well. Can you farm? Yes, <laughs> yes. It's kind of felt like, oh, Lin-Manuel Miranda is really good at these things. Why doesn't he try this other thing that isn't those things? So I, yeah. I, I had lower expectations for him as a director, but uh, I have to eat my words there because um, I think the movie's um, sense of reality and theatricality blend surprisingly well like the movie actually really does look like not that i was ever in new york in the 1980s i was uh barely ever outside of missouri in the 1980s and i was very young but it uh it 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 has the look and feel of the that that its its milieu is is honest and 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 authentic um and yet it also has the abandon with which to have a musical number break out in the middle of that, not do the thing of like, and now we're into the musical number. Like right. th- things just just uh uh happen and some of these I look, I've never seen Rent in any form. I don't mm. really know those songs out of outside of five thousand twenty five hundred, six hundred minutes because sure. I feel like that song's kind of inescapable. So I didn't really know much about Jonathan Larson. The songs are good. Mm-hmm. Um now I'll, there's a couple of moments that I think show Lin-Manuel, Lin-Manuel Miranda's like uh, uh, neophyte standing, some places that feel a little bit, like he's pushing things a little too bit. There's a part, you know, Andrew Garfield, as Jonathan Larson. He's got to come up with just this one more song before his musical workshop or whatever. And he goes for a swim at the YMCA and the song comes to him while he's swimming. And then like the camera is above the pool and you see like the lines on the bottom of the pool become like musical, like the, the notes start filling in uh. as if it's like lines on a chart. And it's like, it seems a little bit too self-conscious. There's also a moment that is supposed to be a huge emotional moment, but it felt, um so dramatized of that thing like a character reveals that he's hiv positive but it happens in like you've seen this scene type of scene a million times where like two characters are arguing about something else and the argument like comes to a head and sure. the person is like i'm hiv positive and then like <gasps> suddenly everyone's like quiet right. like it, it sucks because it's like not only is it a, b- a big moment it is from real life like jonathan larson's friend actually like uh when was it positive um so it sucks to like roll your eyes when that happens but it, there are a couple moments like that that that, that uh keep it from being a full on triumph but i would say as a um as a first
1: uh, a first movie it's better than most you definitely yeah you you spoke to my own feelings i haven't seen the film but i had the same thoughts like I was interested. I was very interested in it. And then when I found out Lin-Manuel Miranda was directing, I was like, Oh, okay. Even though, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, like Julie Taymor is, is uh, turned out to be a fascinating film director. Like it is absolutely possible even with your first film to, to do something really amazing. Uh, But I did definitely my expectations. Maybe they didn't drop, but they shifted. Uh, and the film just somehow wasn't as big a priority as it, as it, it yeah. as it was before that.
0: It wasn't for me, but you know what happened? What's that? Net- Netflix sent me a really comfy sweatshirt and I was like, <laughs> it was it worked. I got to watch this movie now. This sweatshirt is <laughs> just silky smooth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it was cold a lot during the Christmas mm-hmm. like break because it was like raining out. And as we've talked yeah. about, we talked about with, uh, Wait, we had on air or off air when we talked about it with Mariah, um, how apartments in Los Angeles often aren't insulated, uh, as well as, so like kind of cold in Los Angeles feels way cold because sure. when you're inside, because your place isn't insulated. So I actually did spend a lot of the Christmas break wearing my tick, tick, boom sweatshirt that Netflix sent me. So maybe subconsciously I actually did watch it for that reason, but
1: and I, underneath I, your swimming my pool t-shirt.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's another call ahead. <laughs> Uh you keep forgetting or I don't know if you have forgotten or if you're doing that on purpose. I'm doing um, it on purpose. Okay. I'm
1: gonna do everything I can to uh just completely cut the the take the knees out from the upcoming episode.
0: Yeah. Uh all right. Well um well I'm glad you're doing it the way you are, reverent the out- upcoming episode, because I don't want to like um I don't want to talk about movies and say, oh, you'll hear me talk about this sure. on an upcoming episode because the upcoming episode is Scott's top 10 and we want some surprise. So, um, yeah, as long as it's jokes about references to my swimming pool t-shirt. Um, That's all it's
1: going to be. From Yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> uh, next up, uh, I watched uh, Ryosuke Hamaguchi's other 2021 film, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. The, uh, he's Drive My Car is picking up uh, most of the attention, but Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy um is also great. I might have even I think I actually even liked it better uh to to be honest. It's uh it's a it's a <laughs> anthology, it's a triptych, it's it's three short films, um, three short stories in one film. But um they do have th- there's they are clearly um riffs on similar themes that are uh, all three of the short stories um one is about two women who are friends who um one of them is like talking about her new boyfriend this new guy she's seeing and the other one realizes that she's talking about her ex-boyfriend but doesn't say anything at first uh the second one um is about a uh, former student or student former student who goes to see her former teacher uh on uh with ulterior motives and the the third one is about two classmates who haven't seen each other um in 20 years or so uh running into another again uh by chance in public uh and so they're all three of them are very talky they're these are these are all the whole thing this is a movie in which people talk to one another for uh for pretty much, much the entire uh movie but uh now obviously you and i know that's how drama works it can, that can be dramatic uh but it's especially dramatic because a thing that happens in each one of these is the dynamic keeps changing someone goes into a situation thinking it's one thing like i mentioned sure person is talking about this new guy she's she's dating the other woman is listening And then only afterwards she goes to see her ex-boyfriend to say like, you're dating my friend. And we're like, Oh shit. Like the, like this just recontextualized everything I just saw. And that happens again and again in this movie of, of people talking naturally, but things coming out that change the dynamic uh, sometimes for the characters, sometimes for the audience, sometimes often both. Uh, And, and, um, and that the, the skill with which Hamaguchi uh, uh, executes these things that, and I felt this way about drive my car as well, that um, both movies are often about huge universal, just human, uh, uh, Realities and, and ideas, but everything often feels kind of like underplayed and effortless at the same time. Very smooth, you know. That's how I talked about track my car, especially like how it has a character has a monologue about the his driver being such a good driver that he forgets he's in a car while while he's driving. And I feel like that's I need. I haven't seen Hamaguchi's earlier um, work that's been, that was very well um, received. I need to because that seems to be a shorthand for kind of his, uh, uh, his his movies that some that 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 they feel so smooth and even and 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 so easily watchable and uh, that you almost don't realize you've stumbled into something a ginormous moment for two characters until it's already happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic, absolutely fantastic
1: movie. Uh, I loved it. All right, uh, you're up okay so uh my this is a uh, 2021 movie i saw joel cohen's the tragedy of macbeth uh which i boy i have so much to say about it i don't want to spend too much on uh, too much time on it but uh it's just such a fascinating film because <clears throat> every once in a while especially like if it's a remake or if it's uh, an, uh, an adaptation of something that people are very familiar with there's the question of like okay how are you justifying this like what 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 compelled you to go and and do this so the idea first off just the fact that joel cohen was doing it by himself is already it already gets one's attention and is it because Mm -hmm. ethan cohen is like i don't like shakespeare that seems unlikely but uh but it's just fascinating it's like because the film does to me feel like somebody who is who is approaching material that he's very familiar with and and like trying to like sort of get a hold of it uh in his own way and i don't just mean shakespeare because there's a lot of wells in here and i think there's some bergman in here as well um certainly if nothing else there are some like visual references like the first appearance of of the witch Um, Mm, but not the first appearance, but like when she first appears to Macbeth, it's like, that's, I mean, that's death on the beach right there. But, uh, but, um, but also just the, and also just his own, his own approach to adapting something that's theatrical because it's undeniably theatrical. It's undeniably, uh, interior, um, And what's more is it's so sparse. It's almost as though it's, it's like Macbeth by way of our town, you know, because we spend so much time in this, in, in, you know, these castles that are, that are gorgeous. And yet like, did they just move in or have they like, has their furniture not come yet Uh, outside of the throne and a few, a few tables for like the banquet scene it's just so, it's all so empty. And so it's, it definitely is. I I feel like so, so often, especially in the last, I'd say 20 years or so, there's this tendency. It's like, how can we make Shakespeare relevant? How can we, how can we modernize it? And this not only does it not modernize it, it doesn't even really, it removes it from the realm of reality. Uh, It exists in this other place of, the intersection of theater and film. And, um, and that's, and that's just from the visual standpoint and, and the, the choice to shoot a black and white, the choice to shoot in the aspect ratio that, that it's in. Um, and then from an art direction standpoint, all of this just conveys a real desolation, a real emptiness uh, to the material. And that's to say nothing of the acting and Everyone does a does a really wonderful job. I will, you know, it feels uh, it's like I'm going to single out the lead actor. That's that's a dumb thing to say. <laughs> um, I think I forget how well Denzel Washington can lose his mind, like genuinely lose his mind. Um, when we think of Denzel Washington, there's such a strength there, and that's how the character starts. But slowly but surely like that's why this is not simply called Macbeth it's called the tragedy of Macbeth because it really, really, we need to see the Denzel. We know the one that is the one that is stoic and uh, trustworthy and slowly, but surely he starts having to just like, Oh, I got to take care of that loose end. I got to take care of that loose end. And before you know it, he has, he has the throne, which he seems to take no joy in at all, except So he's, he's essentially defending just like, well, I put the time and and effort into it. And so by the end, I mean, he he is so sometimes hilariously sometimes uh, terrifyingly and, but in general, just he's so tragically insane by the end and Denzel Washington's ability to, to convey that arc even, even in maybe, especially in the midst of fully grasping the language, it's, it is a marvelous performance. Mm. I forget how, how, when I think of stuff like, um, the Manchurian candidate or like the end of training day or flight or something like that, it's like, yeah, he, there's this side of him that he's perfectly fine to go into, but we don't see very often. And I think he really does something with the character. I've, I've long since I, I, I've long thought that like the most dynamic character of, of Macbeth is, is lady Macbeth. It's like, no, she's the most active character. She's not necessarily the most dynamic. And in this, especially th- this understands like, no, we are watching a tragedy. We are watching a good man brought down by his own ambition. And boy, it's such a, even, even, I love the moment of his death. Uh, the moment where it's like, it's this really great sword fight and his crown falls off. And just, it's the way that he focuses on picking up his crown. But like he completely, he's disregarding the person yeah. that he's fighting because he's focused on this. And that's ultimately his downfall is that he's focused on the crown, quite literally. Uh, it's a, uh, I really, I did not expect to love the movie this much, but I do because. I just feel Joel Cohen so engaged with the material and trying to like figure it out. And again, I don't just mean Shakespeare. I mean, film history and the way film and theater interact with each other. It really was invigorating. Uh,
0: That's exciting. Um, Yeah. You made me excited to rewatch it. um, Yeah. I think. Um, All right. So moving on to Rebecca Hall's passing. Uh, The, the, (coughs) the, the the title is not a a mistake this is mm-hmm. this is a movie that is it has a story to tell about characters and it's set in a time and place but this is a parable about being black and negotiating your way through a white world um and and so i, I you and i sometimes have um been hard on movies that are overtly like unpacking ideas that are, that are, but, but, um, I, I used the word parable in very specifically because it feels like Rebecca Hall is trying to tap into something classical. She's, mm-hmm. um, she, and, and also, um, it's not a movie that pretends unlike, certain movies i don't know that may have like tried to make a point and and are just feel like they're lecturing at you like vice or Mm -hmm. or like promising Young woman or whatever um they feel like they've they've got it figured out and they're going to tell you how it is yeah this is a movie that doesn't know so it's more of like a dialectic almost but i mean that there's more than one more than two viewpoints um uh the if you don't know um the movie tessa thompson plays a uh she's tessa thompson she's a light-skinned black woman but she's living She's a, a married to a black man. She lives in a black community. She meets reconnects with a childhood friend played by Ruth Nega and who is also obviously a light-skinned black woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then realizes that, Oh, she's living as a white woman. She's married to uh, Alexander uh, Skarsgård and um, uh, he doesn't know that, that she's, that she's, that she's black. And then, but Ruth Nega, when she runs back into Tessa Thompson starts like realizing she's, missed something of like the 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 culture she grew up in and starts like hanging out with tessa thompson and and her husband um um who's played by andre holland who's also fantastic in the movie uh, m- more and more and um uh, i mean sign of a good movie bill camp is in it um bill camp plays uh for the time what would have been considered a very like progressive uh, sure. uh white like uh, media figure who also hangs out with uh the black characters a lot of the time um but uh the movie's in like one three three aspect ratio it's black and white it feels like it's trying to like tap into the history of not only of the actual history that it's exploring of um uh, uh of different methods of uh just survival for uh black people in, in, in white uh culture, but also the history of film and storytelling and, and, and art as a way of unpacking these ideas. Um I was really yeah, I really liked the movie more than I than I thought I would. Um which seems to be a thing like, okay, maybe we, maybe you and I need to just cast aside our thing of like actors turn directors because they keep making yeah. good movies lately. Yeah. Um, so maybe I'm just wrong. Cause yeah, I, um, I, I didn't, uh, expect this to be, uh, uh, this good. Um, but it, a lot of it is down to the performances are, are fantastic. Um, everyone I, I mentioned, maybe especially Andre Holland is, um, uh, really compelling in the movie, but, uh, yeah, it, uh, really surprised me. And, um, Netflix didn't even have to send me a sweatshirt. Oh, man. They sent me a book, but oh, okay. they sent books for other movies. I have so many books, like big coffee table books for different movies that right now I actually know my my hand of God book and my passing book are on either side of the TV stand behind it because my cat kept going behind the TV and accidentally unplugging the modem and we'd lose Mm. internet. So now I have used hand of God and passing coffee table books to keep the cat from getting to where the modem is. (laughs) That's what I'm using them for.
1: That's, I think maybe that's one small step up from you're using them to like, keep your table level or something like that.
0: But I mean, you could also make the argument that like, I'm able to watch Netflix when my sure. modem is connected. There you go. Right. So there you go. Uh, yeah, they're standing sentry. All right. Um, and then next up I watch, I, you know, I, I got, I, I speaking of like, maybe I need to let go of, uh, hangups that I have. Okay. A couple of years back, Jim Jarmish makes a documentary about the Stooges. Right. right and i was like oh this would be so cool i tend to have tend to be bored by musical like bio docs or whatever but uh, uh this is jim john he's gonna bring something to it right yeah. uh not really the stooges movie is not that great and then earlier this year edgar wright makes me about the sparks brothers so I was like oh yeah. edgar wright he's gonna bring something fun to it mm, no not really it's just a pretty traditional so then when it came out like Todd Haynes is making a Velvet Underground movie. I was like, I will not be burned a third time. Yeah. Well, I'm an idiot because it turns out it's great. <laughs> um, it's the best, absolute best version of of these. It's maybe not as. I mean, and Todd Haynes is one of those directors, kind of like a Gus Van Sant, that is always like, nearly like writing the edge of avant garde. Oh, Gus Van Sant has made some like more overtly avant-garde films, but mm-hmm. Todd Haynes tends to make like movies that you could watch with like a non-cinephile and they would get something out of it. But also cinephiles realize that, uh, he's working at maybe a higher level. And so the Velvet Underground doc, it's not what I, th- I kind of went in like reading reviews and people saying good things, about it. I was like, Oh, is this going to be like an almost experimental documentary about the Velvet Underground? Is it going to be like, uh, uh, do you remember that Marlon Brando documentary, Listen to Me, Marlon? Yes. yes. Uh, which was like an experimental documentary about Marlon Brando, which I love. Uh, I was like, is it going to be that? It's not quite that. It is still like it tells the story of the Velvet Underground. Um, uh, and uh, uh, But it also... My test of these movies uh, often is like, is this do- is this documentary about this band or this musician more enriching than just listening to their music for a- an amount of time? I don't know if it necessarily is, but he's made a movie that kind of feels like a Velvet Underground record. Mm. The way he uses, like, um, uh, collage and then uses a the very the very war war because they come from the warhol world mm-hmm. the warholian uh uh thing of like just the opposite of montage or collage just like leaving the camera on a person for a very long time you know and um it feels like it's a movie it is a it is a film born from the same impulses um and and the same uh uh heady cultural mixture that gave birth to the Velvet underground um it's really a really great uh watch it's also crazy to think that this movie covers roughly the same amount of the same time period as respect but feel like they take place in completely different americas and that's sure. not a, that's not a like a, a a criticism of either film like that is just a just a uh Um, an acknowledgement about American culture that it is multiple things at the same time. And sometimes those things are happening in just completely different tracks and they don't, and they don't overlap. So the idea that I watched two movies about American music that took place over the same period of time that feel like they're on from different planets. Hmm. Um, And then I also want to point out drummer uh, Maureen Tucker, Maureen Mo Tucker um, of development underground. Like, like, okay. People who follow The Velvet on Ground know that she has veered hard right in her politics in many ways. She's a tea partier. Um, she, uh, there's a famous interview where she said she's become convinced that Barack Obama is trying to destroy America from within. Like, So all that said, obviously, I don't agree with her. As an interviewee about The Velvet on the Ground, she is often the most entertaining part of the movie. Uh, cause one of the like weirdest parts of the movie is the, the Underground being very sixties, New York, go to play like some shows in California and San Francisco or in Los Angeles and San Francisco. And like the, that, that fish out of water feeling of like the, uh, black clad, pale skinned heroin shooting band, like trying to hang out around the pool you know, <laughs> uh, is, is hilarious, but it leads Mo Tucker to go off on a rant about the uselessness of hippies. That is the funniest part of the movie. (laughs) Um, With that said, we will be right back.
1: Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: Okay, what's what's
1: next for you? Next for me, David, we're watching all kinds of modern black and white movies. Um, Well, there's a lot of them this year. I know it's uh vaguely off-putting. Um <clears throat> but yeah, next for me is Mike Mill's Come On Come On, which uh you've you've seen, yes. Yes, but we didn't get to talk
0: about it on the movie journal because I believe I was still under embargo at the time we recorded. Oh, oh, so I have not
1: you can read my review at battleshooperten.com, but I've not talked about it on the podcast. Yeah, I'm not gonna do that. Uh but uh but yes, I suppose listeners could if they wanted to. Um I boy, I really liked it. Uh I might even love it. Um, you know, it's so interesting how, how much just even in this conversation, but I think as you and I get older and, and the longer we do this, it's interesting how much the, the word, the the concept of expectation comes into play. And I think it's because we've been doing this long enough, or we've seen enough movies that we kind of you can't help, but go in with an expectation positive or negative, um, about the quality of a movie or at least kind of what it's going to be about. I definitely had an expectation of come on, come on, just based on what I'd heard about it and just the nature of the story. Um, and the film thankfully was, and I was excited to see it. It felt like it was like, Oh, this is going to be sort of a feel good kind of thing. It's kind of amusing. And, sort of, uh, in some ways, almost a, uh, a funny Kramer versus Kramer, albeit not with a father, but with a, with a, an uncle, um, certainly not going to be a Manchester by the sea situation. Um, and it is often funny. It is not necessarily, <coughs> excuse me. It's not necessarily like a laugh out loud, funny though. It is occasionally that nor is it a drama. Um, in fact, uh, it's, it's, it's a film, a film that often feels, um, improvised and yet movies that are improvised rarely feel quite so ethereal as this one does. Uh, it really, it, it's really, uh, an achievement for the, f- that the film feels the way it does that it is a dialogue and character driven film. And yet, uh, it, it felt to me almost uh, not necessarily like a, like a Malick movie or anything like that, but that as the characters are talking, they're they're being very direct in the stuff that they're saying. And yet seem to be operating what they're saying, at least for us seems to be operating on a higher level. And I think that's done with, you know, as far as pacing, as far as the music that is, that's uh, that's happening over it. Uh, and then, uh, the fact that it's shot in black and white, it has a dreamy, again, ethereal quality. And so I was just like, what? OK, what is this movie about? Like, I know what the story is, but what's it about? And and it just seemed to be such a and and Joaquin Phoenix's character, his job, which uh, requires that he like interview kids about the future, about their own thoughts, while also uh, dealing very directly with this kid and so he sees you know he sees the 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 behind the scenes moments uh with being a kid uh and he's reflecting on his own life and it just seems to be it's it's an interesting reflection on getting older and being older and then trying to, you know, when you're young, trying to figure out what's expected of you. And when you're older, trying to recognize how have I lived up or not lived up to expectations, whether even if they're my own and just all the way these, these things interact, because I really like that. It wasn't a situation where he's like the cool uncle who has things figured out nor is it a situation where this kid is wise beyond his years and is he's teaching something to, to us, the adults. No, it, it's a combination of the, of the two. And it really is just people trying to figure things out. And, uh, and I really, I really love the tone of the movie. And I do think that, uh, that uh, Woody Norman, as, as uh, the kid is, so organic, so believable, so natural. Uh, and, uh, and I really love the, cause they give him some tough stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet stuff that feels 100% organic, like just like, yeah, no, that makes sense. This orphan character that he plays uh, is, is and little touches like that. It's that kind of, it's the kind of specificity that you and I often talk about where it's like, who on earth would ever think of that? It's like a kid, a kid would think of that hundred percent. And I totally buy it. And there are, there are aspects to this story that I feel like I might not have bought if done in a slightly different way. And I haven't spoken about Gabby Hoffman either. I think she's yeah, marvelous. I, I was going uh, to, if you didn't. Yeah. yeah um, I think she does such a great job of like, and she's got some tough stuff to say as well because uh, the way she sort of pontificates about parenting, like you you run the risk of her almost looking straight at the camera you know uh and saying ah here's the thing it's it's all it's all fucked up like you know she's she's almost uh providing some kind of philosophy and yet she grounds that and makes it seem like a very real uh a very real uh, line of of discussion and so i yeah i really really responded to it uh
0: yeah i didn't didn't i was i didn't like it as much as you because i think i was a little bit too turned off by the like um cuteness of the running thing about like what walking phoenix's job is you know Mm. and um all that like just coming so close to like kids say the darndest things but it's more like kids say the most profound things sure um I, i i didn't like that um but uh i did like i did respond well to what you're talking about him not being the cool uncle as it figured out because as a man i am pushing 40 I will be 40 this year yeah um and i am childless and that it's by choice that's what i what i want but there's a part in the movie where Rocky phoenix is like complaining to gabby hoffman the kid's mom and he says i can't really exit because it's been months now but the line is something like he's spoiled or maybe i am and like that feeling of and i'm sure that even parent people who have children still have that feeling of not fully being an adult but that that feeling of like, am I just, did I ever like, because I don't have kids, did, did I ever stop being a kid? Am I still a kid in some way? Uh, uh, that, that stuff spoke to me. I was still too tuned. I was too turned off by the cutesiness elements of the movie uh, to, to fully embrace it. But I, I liked that uh, sympathy for the uh, what the fuck am I doing? Uh, childless adult.
1: And I, you know what, I, I, I actually really like the choice of what his job is because he has had the freedom and still has the freedom to engage with these kids, basically still on his terms. Like I've got the mic, I'm the one recording, I'm the one asking questions. You can decide whether you answer or not, but I'm the one in charge. And when the time, and when I'm done with the interview, I'm going to walk away from you having gotten what I can get out of it but now he's got, so like he's, he's been able to retain freedom and control in his life uh, in regards to the, the idea of children. Now here's a situation where yes, uh, the kid can be uh, philosophical, but he sees all the other stuff as well. The stuff that's not so cute or not so profound. And so it's just like, Oh boy. Yeah. This is a lot harder than you think. Like we certainly, maybe it's, admittedly like i watched the movie at a certain time in my life where i'm a new father and i'm feeling a lot of the same things where it's like yeah i was able to like watch my friends kids and be like oh my gosh they're adorable well i'm going home uh to go and do whatever the fuck i want yeah. um and now that is not an option and so uh i definitely even though he's he's essentially a father figure in the in the film so i definitely related to him in that way um but yeah i but i i get what you're saying yeah uh
0: all right. Next up, uh, Michael Rienda and Jeff Rose, The Mitchells versus the Machines. Um, color me like confused by what everyone's over the moon about. It's it's a fun movie. Um, it's it's cute and sweet by the end, uh, and it has, um, really eventually when it finally gets going, it has some really fantastic animated action set pieces that reminded me in some ways of, of Kung Fu Panda in the way that like, they're like super uh, kinetic and choreographed, but also like the, they, even though the physics don't make sense in the real world, they make sense within like, uh, I buy, I buy the physics of, of how these things are happening in this animated world. So when it's an action movie, it is as an animated action movie it's very good Mm. the problem is it's nearly an hour of first act before it gets there of um kind of uh lame uh character and obvious character setup and then the thing i'm this is where i feel like i'm gonna piss off people who like to really like the movie it's not funny Mm. it it's produced by Lord and Miller. And so I was hoping for a cloudy, the chance of meatballs type of sense of humor. And it feels the sense of humor feels like a copy of that kind of sense of humor. It's, it's, it's like, uh, you know, uh, kinetic and explosive and there's freeze frames and text on the screen. And there's like uh, crazy stuff that, that happens, but it feels like it's trying too hard to be the Lord and Miller type of comedy. Whereas I think, um, as far as animated comedy action movies go, uh, the Lego Batman movie from mm. 2017 or 2018. It sounds, that was 17. I think. Yeah. Um, uh, that one worked for me that, that one I found very funny. Um, and also bought it as a Batman movie, uh, which I didn't expect going in. I thought it was going to be like a parody of Batman movies, but no, it's that the Lego Batman movie is a Batman movie. That's also very silly and funny at the same time. Yeah. Uh, this one, I I just, it just couldn't, couldn't get all the pieces, uh, together. It also, like I said, it also takes way too long to, to, to get going. Um, and I also think it's a very, very, um, uh, mainstream and institutionalist in its so-called critique of like the effect of, uh, uh tech like big like sure. tech corporations and stuff on our on our lives it it seems to be like critiquing um how we're under the uh the sway and under the thumb and at the whim of of these companies but then it also has this cop out of like this one bad apple type of cop out that i uh, <laughs> one bad apple get it I, hey. I, didn't mean, I didn't mean that uh so yeah can't really recommend the mitchell's versus the machines what I can recommend. I don't know why I waited so long to see this movie. I knew I was going to love it uh, in terms of like lists of, if I were to make a list of movies of 2021 20, that are the most metal <laughs> uh, in different kinds of, 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 genres of, of metal, I would definitely have to put David Lowery's the green Knight on there mm. as far as uh, in, in terms of like stoner, like doom metal type of stuff that's like uh, obsessed with, like fantasy and medieval like medieval fantasy i loved the green knight so much you saw it right i did uh yeah um i i i really loved um dev dev uh, patel's performance Mm -hmm. um as like our hero but not a hero uh i i also liked david lowry's willingness to uh have the movie change what it was from scene to scene it kind of feels uh, episodic and there are parts that like don't necessarily have any you know bearing on the plot as it were um but are just like beautiful and weird and some often very scary um there's a there's a a, a darkness but also an allure. um i think i've i mean i've obviously i've i've known who eliseva vakandor is since probably a royal affair a royal affair which is like over 10 years old now but uh in this year, especially with this and Blue Bayou, I've come to realize that she—I think she's one of my favorite actresses—and mm. um, I also uh, have an enormous crush on her, which I don't think I realized uh, uh, earlier in her career that I um, that I did. But uh, she's she's got—I uh, uh, guess she plays two roles in 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 The Green Knight, um, uh, and and that so that that like that's when I talk about it being metal and being like psychedelic, like stoner metal, that the allure of things that are also terrifying is something that I found coming up again and again in the green night. It's a beautiful film, but beautiful in a way that is dark and sick and maybe dangerous, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also not something like something you can't look away from. It's, it's gorgeous. Like the whole, I mean, there's the least if you can, there has a whole monologue about the color green, that, that the color green is, color of life but also the cover color the color of rot and gangrene Mm -hmm. and death and it's also like when you die you buried and then the grass will grow green over you and so that uh that 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 circle of life beauty and death and scariness and sex and all this stuff uh is it's such a fantastic fun mixture to spend over two hours in and also david lowry especially in this film in general, but especially in this film, there is, when I talked about, uh, certain scenes, not like being plot pertinent, he does. There is not a certain single shot in this movie that is there because it just has to be. He, uh, he has clearly considered every single shot in the movie for maximum impact in, in, in beauty and weirdness and allure and, and all of this stuff. Um, I mean, there's even like, a there's a close up of uh semen that is like yeah but it's a gorgeous shot it's it's not <laughs> yeah. like the the movie isn't embarrassed like maybe Gawain is embarrassed that he just uh, came or whatever but yeah. like the movie isn't embarrassed for him the movie is like oh look at this cool like uh liquid like seeping into the cloth it's hmm. it's a beautiful shot in a movie that is all beautiful shots uh i love the green knight so much
1: yeah uh it's a film that has i think when i when i talked about it uh on on a movie journal i I don't think i was quite as effusive as i would be now if i were to talk about it because i think i was still like working on it and i was like no i think i just need to embrace it as an experience um, and I do think, and I know that like, you're a bigger fan of, Excal- of Excalibur than I am, but I do feel like it's nice. It'd be a really nice companion piece to Excalibur. Like if you watch them in the same night, um, I feel like you get a real strong sense of like what Arthurian myth. really was like we we romanticize it's like yeah but there's still a lot of ugliness there's a lot of sensuality there's a lot of violence like all of these things like go together i i wouldn't be surprised if david lowry was like influenced by excalibur uh in making this film
0: well the movie i mean the movie i thought of watching this and this is a minor spoiler if you if i give away too much so maybe fast forward if you want to know but um i thought a lot about the last temptation of christ by yes. the end, by the end yes. of the movie but i can't really go too far into that um uh without spoiling things but uh, uh that was the movie that i came away thinking and in fact since i watched this uh um a little over a week ago i've been itching to re-watch the last temptation of christ
1: yeah oh there's yeah, there's definitely a an influence there um okay so <clears throat> Next up, this is a film there's a rewatch, but i haven't I haven't seen the film in i guess about eight and a half years since it first came out uh Jen was watching it uh and so I thought like, oh, okay, I'll give it a shot uh and it is frozen Disney's frozen um because when i first when I first saw it, i was like I really did not care for it. Um I remember. so so uh and neither did Jen. And so she thought she'd give it an, another shot, and so I watched it with her. And uh yep, no, I'm right. Uh still bad, <laughs> still I still, couple, I like it. I only saw the once, but I like it. There's a couple of good sequences. The the let it go sequence is very good, and then I am a sucker for the the Olaf snowman character. I think jo- I think a lot of that is Josh Gad's delivery of things. Nice and and i'm and i really like his song even though it doesn't really i think one of the things that bothers me is just like the songs none of them seem to exist the whole thing just feels like a patchwork to me um which wouldn't necessarily bother me except that they just seem to clash so much uh which which for me and it just invites me to think of sequences that I like and sequences I don't. And in the end, there are more sequences I don't like than ones I do. Um, but I do love Olaf's little song about the summer and wanting to live in the heat. Uh, and, and this time around, I like paid more attention to the lyrics and like, everything is just like tailored around uh, this character is being so uh, unaware of things. Like there's a line where he says he's like, he goes, I'll do whatever frozen things do in summer. And just like, he never, never references what it could be. And then for some reason, I, I love, uh, there's a line where he says like the, the cold and the hot are both so intense, put them together. It just makes sense. And uh, I love that. And I think he sells it. It's like, there are things I, I genuinely love about it. Um, but overall it was just so, I find it so frustrating because just when it's starting to get like a rhythm going, like, okay, I'm enjoying this. I like the character dynamic. It'll pivot to this other thing, this other moment. And I'm like, what is this? Why is this here? Like, it, it hmm. felt like they had like five short films and then just decided to put them all together and like, yeah, no, this will work out fine. Um, and for, mo- for many people it did, but it just, it's still, boy, it still does not for me thumbs down on frozen okay maybe frozen two is for you maybe i haven't seen it um i almost
0: was like oh yeah i never saw the sequel and then i was like oh wait yes i did <laughs> i did see <laughs> oh, that's Frozen. not 2. a good sign yeah uh, <laughs> but i didn't remember it at first all right um i don't know what else to say. uh aaron sorkin's being the ricardo's it's <laughs> uh it's everything you think it is yeah. going to be um i uh uh, I, I I didn't enjoy it. It's like handsomely made and it's got, I mean, Aaron Sorkin is still doing Aaron Sorkin, which I used to like, but it's, I, I guess it's sort of like, I also like going back over 10 years, I used to listen to Adam Carolla's podcast and like mm-hmm. the kind of somewhat early days of podcasting. And then after a certain point, I realized like, I think I've like heard everything this guy has to say. Yeah. Um, which I know you and I repeat ourselves often enough. We could be accused of the same, but at least sure. we're talking about new movies. You know, that we yeah. haven't talked about before. Hopefully that keeps it somewhat fresh. Um, and I think that's the same thing with Aaron Sorkin. It's like, yeah, there was a time I liked this and I don't hate it now. I don't know if it's gotten worse. I've changed, but also it, it hasn't changed. Right. He's still doing the Aaron Sorkin thing. Um and like, so there are lines that like, again, like 20 years ago, I would have been like, Oh, what a, that's a great sharp little line. You know, there's a part where, uh, there's a big scene where, uh, Lucy and Desi have to tell the president of CBS or whoever that she's pregnant. Like, you know, and they're, um, kind of try and work it into the, into the show. And it's a big like scandal whatever. And then like later in the movie, she, comes to the president of CBS to like, tell him something else. And he says like, um, Oh, I thought you were going to tell me you were pregnant again. And she says, no, I'm still pregnant from before. Uh, which is like, that's an Aaron Sorkin line. That is a bit, that yes. I like, I would have liked that, but here I'm just like, yeah, I don't hate it, but like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's what he does. Um, it also has a very ill-advised like framing device where actors, good actors, Linda Lev and Ronnie Cox and Josh Rubenstein, um, play grown up versions of when well, I have to say them in the order that I said them um Aliah shawcat Jake lacy and um Tony Hale mm-hmm. being interviewed about the week th- of the production of I love Lucy in which the movie takes place. Uh it's jarring and so false and fake. It's a it's a terrible idea. Aaron Sorkin should not have have done that. Especially yeah. like especially like if it's you're going to have uh i mean maybe this is me being too much of like a movie buff or whatever but like these are supposed to be like real life versions of real people coming to, on this and one of them is ronnie fucking cox like yeah i know who that is i know that's not grown up jake Lacey, that's ronnie cox i, I saw like him you in say deliverance grown up. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah jake Lacey's
1: a big like boy Yeah, i could see that
0: uh yeah but um uh, yeah. So but yeah. Ronnie Cox more is complaint. a,
1: an, igno- yeah. He's a recognizable guy. Yeah. It's like, Hey, that's a guy from a uh, Robocop. Yeah.
0: And Joshua Martinez is maybe not as recognizable as everyone to everyone as he is to me because he was on angel for a couple seasons. <laughs> so I think of him as that, but, uh, all right. So from a bad movie to a great movie, um, Jane Campion's the power of
1: the dog, mm. uh, which you saw, right? I did. Yes. Yeah. Well, I thought we talked about this. Um, or did, there's so did- much, there's so much I, there's a lot I didn't say because I didn't want to like spoil things, but like I feel like there's I've I just keep thinking about it. My my mind keeps returning to it.
0: Well yeah, I mean it's to go back to in a very different way, uh in a different field, but what I was saying about um the Green Knight, there's not a wasted moment in yeah in, in, in the power of the dog. Um even like things uh again to go back to what I was saying about Annette, things that seem like obvious, like we've seen this we've seen this type of character before this type of character dynamic before, but everything feels real and honest and, uh, considered and, 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 and fresh. Um, and, uh, you've got, there's, it's a very talky movie. Um, but I think the screenplay is one of those. that's often the characters talk a lot, but it's often more about what they're not saying. Yes. Um, but then but sometimes what they're not saying is very obvious. Like the um Phil is Benedict Cumberbatch's character, right? Yes. Um like and he talks about like the this guy whose name was Bronco Henry, who like like taught him how to be a ranch hand or whatever. And like the movie is not really subtle about what's going on there, right. but I think it it makes up for that obviousness with um Such uh, um, honest emotions Um, in in in, in the in the performances, but also in the way that Jane Campion uh, strings them together, the way that she shoots them, that she lets
1: certain shots uh, breathe. Uh, Yeah, what were you gonna say? Well, and also, like it's there's a simplicity to the fact of things, but there's a complexity in the way that it has manifested.
0: And, uh yeah we have been-
1: can't yeah benedict cumberbatch's character you you get him pretty quick and you kind of and and probably about halfway through it's like okay i i i understand this other element of him and yet the specifics that they've given to him about like the family he comes from how his brother turned out yeah versus how he turned out and you start to be like okay, how, like a lot of these are conscious choices he's, he's made. Um, And then it's like, why did he make those choices? Oh, I guess because of this thing over here, which I'll stay vague about, like, I guess this thing over here, but what an interesting way to embrace that. And so, and this is something that, you know, as we get down the line, uh, maybe it'll wind up in my top 10, maybe not, I'm not sure. But like, as we get down the line, like maybe in a couple months we can talk more overtly about the the specifics because I, I i've got that character yes we've seen characters like him before but not him
0: and we've seen or i think again not to get into spoilers we think we've seen characters like cody smith mcphee's character before yes. um but he turns out to be uh not entirely what we what we assumed or what phil assumed he was at at, yes. at first uh at first glance
1: all right uh you're up next Okay, next for me is Kerry Fukunaga's No Time to Die, the last uh Daniel Craig Bond movie. Uh yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, I know that sounds crazy because it's it's this big event uh not just in the world of James Bond, but also uh it was a it was a big movie this year, you know, it was a big theatrical release. Um and I like a lot of the things in it. I think Daniel Craig is great there. I think there are a couple really, really great action sequences that are, that have a nice virtuosic quality to them. Um, and yet I, I watched it like three days ago and I barely remember it. I barely cared about it while I was watching it. I feel like it's a, it's a real waste of uh, Rami Malek Uh, His character is just so generic. Um, And I understand like, you know, there, when people say, Oh, a bond villain, like, well, we all have an idea of what that means. Uh, But I do think that for the most part, uh, the Daniel Craig bond movies have done pretty well at, at bringing different, different things to the bond villain. Uh, Certainly not here though. Um, And yeah, I, I wish I liked it more but I really don't it's it it was it was because I like Harry Fukunaga and I really expect I guess I expected more from this uh because I really think that like Sam Mendes did some good stuff with the series and I and I was excited to see what uh Fukunaga would do and it wound up just being in my view just a completely run-of-the-mill occasionally effective uh story um and i think daniel craig is doing some good stuff but overall uh, wh- who cares I-, I didn't
0: uh all right well um moving on to another very metal movie from 2021 but where <laughs> the green knight was like stoner metal julie duconau's titan is like grindcore or brutal death metal like it's uh it is just uh you know under 2 hours of incredibly upsetting stuff, Mm. (laughs) Uh, but in a way that I loved, I love Titan so much. I didn't see raw. It seemed like it was up my alley. Now I feel like I have to see raw Mm. uh, her, her her previous movie. Um, But because Titan is, it could be correctly described as body horror. um, But, and in some ways in the ways that you think of, it's about a woman who is essentially gets impregnated by a car and has some sort of like, she has a very rapidly proceeding pregnancy and whatever is in here is leaking motor oil and seems to be made of Chrome and light and is very uncomfortable for her.
1: So, I did not know this was the story. Oh, okay. The film has r- now rocketed to the top of my priorities <laughs> list.
0: Um, so it has, so like that sort of like unexplained changes happening to the body. That's a kind of body horror. Mm-hmm that you're that i mean not that you're used to i'm not going to say that a movie about a woman getting (laughs) pregnant by a car is run of the mill but that's like the service level body horror there's also a lot of the kind of body horror i like which is about potential body horror like Mm. sometimes seeing something awful happening to a person's body is not as upsetting as the potential the sustained potential that something terrible might happen um there's a scene at the very beginning the uh actress um the, the well the character the actress's name is agatha roussel and her character is alexia and she's like a model at car shows and uh so we open with her like sort of like dancing on the hood of the car that will later impregnate her. Uh, And then we get to like the sort of locker room at this convention where all of the models are like showering together and Alexia like drops something and bends down and her hair gets caught on the nipple ring of the girl next to her. And there's, so there's this very sustained scene of them trying to untangle hair from a nipple ring. And you're like, Oh, don't pull too hard. That's going to hurt. So like, and, that i swear it's there's so much of that in the movie there's 40 45 minutes of the movie that goes by before you get a relief from that kind of oh, body horror that's what the that's what the whole like first nearly half of the movie is about and then it um and then i'm not even like you'd think that i'd given away something by saying this is a movie about a woman pregnant impregnated impregn- by a car no that happens early on there's actually the actual meat of the movie happens later and is about a story that i haven't even brought up hmm. um but still involves the woman who's been impregnated by Carter the entire time uh so i won't get in into into that but um this kind of uh, provocation and uh unsettling unsettlement whatever um is uh so uh handled so I, I don't want to say delicately to sound like it's soft. It's handled. What's what I'm looking like precisely is the word I'm yeah. looking at. There's a precision to how upsetting this movie is, even as sometimes the camera is, doesn't seem, you know, is, is, is just sort of like following someone around or like whipping back and forth or whatever. There's still a uh, a precision. Julia Dorkenow knows what she's doing to you, the viewer at all times. Uh, and the movie is um, very upsetting and very sad, but also completely un- look away from a bull. (laughs) Uh, And also uh, there's a character played by Vincent Lindon, who's an actor I like, but who I most recently saw as Casanova in Casanova last love, which Mm. uh, listeners and people who read the, my review will know that I didn't like. So it's good to see Vincent Lindon in a movie that I uh, love again. (laughs) Uh, All right. And now, so then, yeah, the movie about the body horror was easy to talk about now. Do you ever have a movie you love so much that you dread having to like, put it into words? Yes. Oh yes. Um, Joachim Trier's the worst person in the world is a towering monumental movie. It's, it is, it is stunning and so invigorating in its willingness to, dive into its situations and its character's life and and see what happens it does not it never feels like programmatic it's about a young uh woman who we found at the beginning we see her sort of like jumping from major to major in college and she uh, it's a norwegian movie um, and she you know uh then is like oh i'm gonna be a photographer and i'm gonna be a writer and then she has like a jobs out of college has a part-time job at a bookstore while she's trying to write. And then she meets a guy and they have a relationship. And then like her, her situation just keeps changing, but she's not like a, um, a flighty person. This is about a person who she's the same person. She's trying to figure out the world around her. I think is how I feel, uh, about the movie. And, and, um, uh, You know, uh, our editor large, Scott and I has talked a lot about how many major filmmakers seem to like go out of their way to not make movies about the present. Um, Yeah. The worst person in the world is movie that is absolutely about the present. And I think it's about being young today in, uh, uh, we associate the word young. You say young and carefree. That's the thing you say. Sure the world, especially like the Western world as it is today, that like, if you're halfway aware of what's going on, it's not so possible to be carefree because you, 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 you know, uh, uh, you know, too much about the rest of the world. You know that your actions have ripple effects or that the thing you buy might have come from, uh you know a thing you buy innocently at a drugstore might have had origins in some sort of human rights abuse somewhere like the the world is not a place to be carefree and yet there are moments in the movie that are uh, when the movie gets a little bit um leaves reality a little bit uh there are moments that feel like freedom that have images of freedom running, you know, and um and, and and things like that. But uh they're not entirely real. They're something that maybe that the character who's I just watched this movie the other night and like so bad with character names. Uh Julie or Julia uh in the Norwegian um uh, she she wants to, I feel like she wants to feel things a lot of the time more than she's actually able to and i think that's what leads to her constantly like changing things um uh, about her life um but i'm not even getting into how beautiful the the movie is um in in its in its framing it made me glad for a movie that's about you know just a person going from you know job to apartment to party or whatever it's not like a western or a sci-fi movie that has vistas but it made me glad that i have a big tv (laughs) i I watched it at home um it it has uh uh a it 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 has it spends a lot of time taking in the sky above where julie is um in a way that i feel like is twofold it's like you can see the sky the sky's the limit right that's a saying that people Mm -hmm. have you can see the sky is representing possibilities and in and, and freedom and the future but you can also see this guy as a great big massive thing on top of you that makes you feel small and diminished and crushed and it, like for for julie that's what life is um both of those things at the same time uh and then there's about everything else too um uh it's when i say it's hard to when i said before it's hard to describe it's because it is about so many things about being a person today (laughs) that that it's hard to pin down. I absolutely just loved the worst person in the world.
1: All right. So my last film, um, is a rewatch, but it's been well over 20 years since I've seen it. I think maybe I haven't seen it since the theater. Okay. So, so it was probably 25 years. Um, but let me go. How can I guess? Oh boy. (laughs) Okay. 1996. Uh, yes is it is it 96
0: well i guess 97 would it, be twenty five it's, 25 it's, years. it's not, sorry it's 95 oh 95 and you saw it in the theater and you haven't seen it since is it copycat
1: it is not copycat no um okay it is i was only gonna I, give myself one guess no, I didn't okay get all it. right oh man copycat did come out in 1995 though i give myself credit for remembering that's that. that's not bad yes uh boy if we had time I'd say, let's do a fun game and just have you try and guess what it is. But um, But we don't have time. We don't have time. Uh, So, yeah, this is another situation where Jen was watching it. And I was like, oh, you know what? Wait, have you said what it is yet? No, I was about to. It's like, you know what? I haven't seen Jumanji in quite a while. So I I also have not seen that since the theater. And there are a lot of things I do not care for about it. One of them, I hate to say it, is Robin Williams' performance. Uh, I just feel like he's—I don't know—it's—I forget. Like obviously, like because he because he you know passed so young and and because he's he's done so much, you know, he had done so much. I think we we kind of idealize him, but there there are times when his performance feels a little phoned in or whatever. I mean, when he's engaged, it's, it can be amazing, but in this film, it really didn't feel like that. It felt very standard kind of thing for him. Um, So that's, and that's unfortunate. Uh, However, uh, David Allen Greer is in it. I forgot completely uh, that he was in it and he plays the supporting role and he's quite delightful. Um, My big takeaway because I had forgotten that Joe Johnston directed it. And my big takeaway was like, it is unfortunate that we only do profiles on pe- these days on people that have passed. Um, because Joe Johnson's career is fascinating to me. I, well, I, he, I, I think mean, of him as such a reliable. Tyler, the same fate awaits us all. Someday no, I, Joe I get it. Will yes. Die. <laughs> no, I, you know, the, the bell will soon toll for jo- yeah. Joe Johnston. But, um, but it's that sort of thing where like, he's a guy who has made a number of movies that I don't necessarily respond that well to. And yet he's made some movies. I really love to such an extent that when I hear that, Oh, I remember when it was announced that he was going to be directing the first captain America. I was like, yes, a hundred percent. I remember the rocketeer. Yes. Let's do it. Uh, And yet like he's made, he's made stuff that I, that is not particularly good. He made Jurassic park three. And, and in watching Jumanji, I was like, Oh, I can see why he got that. There is a Spielbergian quality to him. He's not quite as good, but I think he retains the spirit of Spielberg a lot more than say a Roland Emmerich. Um, And this does feel like that. There is a sense of, of fun and uh, and harmlessness to it. Um, But like, again, looking at his, At his filmography, he did Honey I Shrunk the Kids. He did The Rocketeer, which is obviously great. He did the the Wolfman, the Benicio del Toro Wolfman, which I really enjoyed. He's just a he's he's a very reliable director. You kind of you he's this nice, sturdy, two fisted kind of of director, and uh, and he's someone that I would. Down the line, if we're still doing this, I don't know how old Joe Johnson is. Uh, I would love uh, to do a profile. He because, will be 72 this year. Okay. Um, but yeah, he's someone that, uh, that I would like to to talk about at some point because he's, he's a really, he holds a really interesting little uh, uh, chunk of, he occupies an interesting little chunk of Hollywood where he's responsible for some really, really great movies. And even when his movies aren't that great, they still f- you still feel like you're in good hands
0: yeah well if we do that uh someday do that profile it'll give me an excuse to finally watch the nutcracker in the four realms which i uh, i saw that in the theater uh did you okay which yeah. he only directed the reshoots of it. it's a less of okay. film and then they re- reshot it and i guess he reshot enough of it to get to earn credit so they're both credited directors okay on, right. on the movie but um that's one of those. Cause that was like a November release. That was one of those that like mm-hmm. felt like it was supposed to be a big thing. And then no, no one
1: seemed to care about it. I, I never saw it. You, you saw it in the theater though. I did. I think that was, I think that was back when movie pass existed. And so I just went and saw a bunch of stuff and I was just like, sure, why not? I'm in the mood yeah. for Christmas and uh good art direction. I, I seem to recall.